Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nowhere Podcast. Technology is constantly running in the background of our lives, yet for most of us, it's invisible. On Nowhere, we explore the intended and unintended influences that geospatial technology has on the real world. These are the stories of how geospatial tech unexpectedly affects our lives. I'm Jonathan Neufeld, CEO of TechTerra and host of Nowhere. Today, my guests are Dr. Caleb Brown, curator of dinosaur systematics and evolution at the Royal Tyrrell Museum of Paleontology at Drumheller, Alberta, and Dr. Derek Peddle, professor of geography and environment and the director of the Alberta Terrestrial Imaging Center at the University of Lethbridge, and Sean Harridge-Berry, master's student at the University of Lethbridge. Hi, gentlemen. Thanks for being here today. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. On today's podcast, we're going to explore how modern remote sensing technology is being used to find ancient fossil beds in the badlands of Alberta. Caleb, before we get to the new technology, tell me about your work at the Royal Tyrrell and the mission of the museum. Yeah, so I'm one of the curators at the Royal Tyrrell Museum of Paleontology. Our museum is dedicated to researching and preserving Alberta's ancient fossil history. So any research, any technological improvements to allow us to further explore, expand on that rich fossil history that Alberta has is exciting to me. Excellent. And Alberta is known for having a wealth of fossils and a heritage of preservation. What makes Alberta unique? Alberta is unique for a couple of reasons. We have lots of rocks of the right age to preserve dinosaurs, and we have a modern environment in which those rocks are eroded at a relatively quick rate. The badlands of Alberta, the Red Deer River Valley and elsewhere which means that we both have abundant fossils in the ground, but they're also being found at a high rate. So we can kind of learn a lot about our ancient past from all these abundant fossils. Yeah, tell me about the fossil record in Alberta, particularly where you are in Drumheller. I know it's a hotspot for this. So what are some big finds that have been discovered around there? The badlands around Drumheller, at least like Dallas Park, they're these kind of very dry landscapes. They have high topographical relief. There's not a lot of vegetation and the rocks are quite soft. So they erode very quickly. And the fossils that are preserved are these dinosaur-dominated ecosystems. So things like horned dinosaurs, duck-billed dinosaurs, tyrannosaurs are quite common in most of these landscapes. Those are the big dinosaurs that we think of as being the kind of the dominant players in these. And we're going to talk about how we're using a sensing technology to go prospecting, but what is the standard method of prospecting and how do you find new fossil beds? The standard method of finding fossils right now is pretty low-tech. It's basically put your boots on and go hiking. Keep your eyes on the ground and you'll find fossils. And the hard part is figuring out which fossils are the important ones. And the <laughs> fossil record here in Alberta is so great that we actually have a lot of fossils that are found by members of the public. Either they're out kind of walking their dog or fishing and they see something interesting, or they're actually in industry and they're moving bedrock as part of a mining process or laying a road or foundation. They often come across fossils that way as well. So when fossils are in the ground, do they stick out? Are they immediately obvious to members of the public? What do they look like when they're still in the ground? Yeah, so when fossils are still in the ground, or at least in this case, I'm talking about dinosaur bones, because that's kind of what we're talking about. There has to be part of it exposed for us to know what's there. We can't see into the rocks to know what's hidden. We can only see what's at the surface. Fossil bones look like modern bones. Their color is often different, but the shape is very similar. They have a very organic shape. They have a grain to them, and you can recognize different facets and structures that you would on modern bones. Other fossils have different features that you recognize different ways. But when you see a fossil bone, you kind of recognize it as a bone. It just looks a bit odd. It's a bit bigger, it's a bit different color, but it is what it is. I've been to the Royal Tyrell Museum in Drumheller, but I haven't had a chance to go hiking around the Badlands yet. So maybe this summer I'll have to go put my boots on and see if I can find any fossil beds myself. Definitely. Come out and join us. Now, I understand too that lichen can grow on fossils and prefers that to the dirt. So 
What is it about the fossils that lichen likes? <laughs> lichen the lichen. <laughs> we often tell our kind of volunteers, our new crew, that when we're not hiking in the Badlands, look for the orange lichen because it does preferentially colonize bones. We're not sure why that is. It's probably a combination of three things. First off, there's lots of minerals in the bones that the lichens can use and grow. Bones are porous, so they're a great anchor for the lichen to grab onto. And much of the rest of the environment is actually quite soft. All the other rocks are very soft and eroding at quite a quick rate. They're basically melting, whereas the fossils represent these kind of anchor points that are stable. So they represent areas that can actually be colonized by the lichen. So because of that, you'll find these areas that have a large amount of bone on the surface. And when you see that, there's often this orange glow from all the lichen that have colonized those bones that are exposed. And is this true for other areas of Alberta and perhaps the rest of the world? Or is this a unique phenomenon to the Alberta Badlands? It's definitely pretty consistent within the Alberta Badlands that we've studied. We actually have a research project with another collaborator trying to see how common this is around the world. But there is other reports of lichen commonly growing on fossils elsewhere. But I can't kind of generalize to global patterns yet. Sean, I know you're working on a master's degree through the University of Lethbridge on advanced remote sensing. Tell me, what is the aim of your project and what are you working on? That's correct. I'm looking at the way that fossilized material and the lichen that was mentioned reflect the sunlight in a certain way that we can use that to identify them in a remotely sensed image. So for example, the sediment and the bone itself may look very similar, but the chemical characteristics of both are very different. And this would give them unique reflective characteristics that would appear in multispectral imagery. I understand you did some lab work at the beginning of this project to determine some of that. So explain what you did in the lab and what your results were there using the fossils. So thanks to the collaboration with the Royal Tyrrell Museum, we borrowed around 35 or so different samples that were logged or found and then logged at Dinosaur Provincial Park so that we have some representative samples from the area that we would like to use as our test case in the field and brought them back to the Alberta Terrestrial Imaging Center here at the University of Lethbridge into a controlled environment so that we can control the illumination as well as the measurement environment using the ASD spectroradiometer. The spectroradiometer will take the reflected light off of the target and measure the reflectance of the target across the electromagnetic spectrum. So from 350 nanometers up to 2,500 nanometers. So right through the visible into the near infrared and then even further into the shortwave infrared. We can use that information derived from the AST spectroradiometer in remotely sensed imagery to break apart the pixels of the image and figure out what's found inside of each of those pixels. And so once you have this existing work done, are you able to build like a library of samples out of these bones? That's correct. We'll put the spectra that we acquire of these fossilized elements and of the lichen and of the sediment that we know to appear within Dinosaur Provincial Park into what's called a spectral library. And that library can be used in the different algorithms like spectral mixture analysis, which will break the pixel apart and identify the fractions of the pixel that belong to the categories. So for example, a pixel may contain 70% fossil, 10% lichen, and then some shadow, for example. And then we'd be able to break apart those pixels and find the ones that have majority fossil. 
So Derek, over to you. Tell me about this spectral unmixing system. What's some of the techniques behind it required to make this work? Thank you. Well, first, I just want to say it's great to be on Nowhere with you and the group here today, John and Caleb and Sean. And I also want to mention, Lichen was brought up. I want to mention Brian Pickles, Dr. Brian Pickles from University of Reading in the UK, who also is sometimes located in Lethbridge. And so he's sort of the Lichen guy. We like him. Certainly a big part. He couldn't be with us here today, but a big part of this research program. The field environment that Caleb mentioned I was very fortunate and with Sean to do some field work for part of the field mission. And it's an amazing landscape. You almost feel like you're on Mars or someplace. It's very different. It's very unique. It's challenging, brings different challenges and also some advantages from a remote sensing standpoint. So you asked about spectral mixture analysis, sometimes called spectral unmixing. And as Sean referred to, it's a subpixel scale approach. So it allows us to detect small occurrences of things. We can put from the laboratory spectra that Sean just described, a specific fossil measurement, the reflectance or the spectra, the signature, some people call it, the unique patterns of reflected energy across different wavelengths. Okay, so this spectral radiometer device that we're using allows you to look at different segments of the light spectrum, whether it's visible to humans or not. And then based on the characteristics you derive from the lab, you're able to match field data to the lab data by looking at the subcomponents of each pixel to say, yes, you know, it matches the signature from this bone or this bone. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. So there's two phases. In the lab, we have a very nice set of bones and sediment and fossils from Caleb and the World Terrell Museum of Paleontology, which we're very grateful to have access to that. And so we can devise what amounts to an experiment that is the same or very similar to what we would see from a larger area image. So then the second phase then is the same process. It's just when we use an image from the field. So that could be from a drone or what we really call in Canada remotely piloted airborne system, RPAS. Some other countries call it a UAV. If we have an image from a drone or from a airplane, so airborne imagery or from satellite imagery, we can use the same spectral mixture analysis techniques to analyze and find new fossil occurrences. Okay, so now we have lichen that preferentially colonizes petrified dinosaur bones. We have land that slowly erodes around the bones to have them emerge over time have their spectral radiance signatures based on work in the lab. But Sean, I'm sure you're not prospecting for new dinosaur bone beds in the lab. So tell me about your field work and what you're doing out at Bone Bed 23. So we brought with a team from Lethbridge as well, a quadcopter, four rotor drone up to Dinosaur Provincial Park with guidance and supervision from Alberta Parks. So again, thank you so much to them. So we went up to Dinosaur Park with the drone. It was equipped with a standard RGB camera, high-resolution camera, as well as a five-band multispectral MicaSense Red Edge M camera. So that's a camera that can see five different spectral bands, right? And what are those bands? Yeah, so that camera will take one image and it'll gather information in the blue, green, red, 
portions of the visible spectrum. Then the red edge, which is the edge of the red region and the near-infrared region, a very specific narrow band, and then the near-infrared area. Okay. Now, with these five bands, you're able to capture similar imagery to what you were able to capture in the lab and look for those spectral signatures, right? That's correct. It won't be at the same detail or spectral resolution because the ASD spectroradiometer covers a much wider range and very, very detailed, uh, approximately one to three nanometers slices, whereas the MicaSense would take just five slices and generalize that this is the answer for this band. Sean, we were talking briefly about bone bed 23 when you're doing some of these tests. So you have your five band camera attached to uh, our palace or drone system. What happened then? With the MicaSense camera and the standard RGB camera attached to the bottom of the drone, we flew at two different altitudes, one at 30 meters above ground and 100 meters above ground level in order to collect the data over the bone bed. So we can cover quite a big area. And bone bed 23 isn't the largest, but it is a characteristic of all of these markers that we would find to identify a bone bed. So it has a lot of microfossils, so small fragments of fossil that have washed out of the hill. It has a lot of larger pieces that would have the lichen colonizing on it. We're at the stage now where we're trying to get the data to work together in the lab so that we can identify those sites in the imagery. So you've flown the equipment, you've acquired the data at two different altitudes, and the ongoing work now is to look at the data and examine it and look for those spectral signatures between the two different imaging systems. That's correct. Kayla, what was it like to see this new technology being deployed and tested out there in the Alberta Badlands? It's an exciting mixture of very old fossils and exciting new technology. Just to clarify for the listeners, we talk about these things called bone beds. These are basically layers of rocks that have really concentrated fossils, often bones. One of the questions is how precise, how accurate we can be in terms of detecting some of these occurrences with the remote sensing technology. So we're not necessarily talking about finding individual bones, although that might be a possibility. We're also talking about finding these areas where there's concentrated layers of fossils. And that's an example of Bone Bed 30 where we're testing some of this equipment. But yeah, it's a bit of a, almost like an anachronism. We're in this badlands, this rugged, dry, desert-like terrain, and then there's this very fancy, high-tech drone flying ahead collecting data to try to pinpoint some of these locations. It must have been cool to see those two things collide, the millions-year-old fossils and the brand-new imaging technology. On the science side of things, you know, what is the future here? How do you see this scaling up over time? Well, literally and figuratively, I think Sean and Caleb have both alluded to the scaling. So including in the field, so Sean referred to flying multiple altitudes, and that is to test our detection ability at different ranges, different heights, and relate that then to the subpixel scale and to the other platforms such as airplanes and satellites. Sean, what's next in your research? At the moment, the main focus is getting this working and successful to the point where I can successfully defend my thesis. As for next steps after this, I don't know yet. I'd like to leave options open, but this is not an opportunity I could pass up if this develops further. Kalo. Last word to you. What do you see as the future of paleontology and the search for new fossil bone beds? Paleontology is always on the lookout for using new technologies. It can be using fancy scanners like CT scanners to see inside fossils as opposed to destroying them. Fancy new computer techniques to analyze our 
family trees and to analyze our data that's been collected in multivariate ways. This is just another use of that, but it's a field-based approach. So it's actually on the front end, finding things. I'm excited to see what this technology can do, and hopefully it's successful and we can actually use it to find some of these sites in these really remote, rugged, hard-to-get-to areas. If that proof of concept holds up, I think there's applications outside of Dinosaur Provincial Park for sure, across the world, hopefully. Caleb, Sean, Derek, thanks for being here today. I've really enjoyed exploring this topic with you. That's a real pleasure. Thank you so much, John. Yes, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. This is the Nowhere Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Neufeld. You can find Nowhere at NowherePodcast.com, on Twitter at Nowhere underscore pod, and you can find me at John underscore Neufeld. See you later.